I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Eric Galliani. And we love to watch. We love to watch. A message from the year 1999. I've got a mind that can steal me to your house. And a heart that can bring you red flowers. My intentions are good and earnest and true. But under my hood is internal combustion power Satan is my Rehearsals, Peter. Oh, thank you. I like to think that the, the pressure of being on the spotlight is what really really brings it home for me. Uh, hey, folks. Uh, the second in our John Carpenter series, uh, Carping About Carpenter. So, uh, yeah, welcome to the show, Eric. How you doing? Thanks very much for having me, guys. I'm doing very well. We're excited. We, uh, You were one of the first people that I feel like started uh, listening and commenting about our show. And we, we're really big into flattery and hearing good <laughs> things about ourselves. Oh, big into flattery. Big into it. And we're like, let's get this guy on and he can do it to our faces. <laughs> yeah, I remember the, in fact, the the Candyman episode, I think, is what really drew me in. I like, I don't know, the, just the mix of humor. And I guess with Joseph, we kind of give a lot of that socioeconomic info. I thought, <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. So you're saying it was pretty good, but Joseph should really you should have Joseph on basically again. every time. So and he should take over the show. <laughs> He'll love to hear that. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have to edit that out just so. <laughs> so we we're gonna get we actually have a game we haven't done a game for a while. I'm very excited about it. But before and we're gonna get we have a lot to talk about. Is uh, if you listen to last week's in the mouth of madness, uh, the final cut was under two hours. Uh, we broke our uh, raw recording time of like three hours and five minutes. So we, we we have a lot to talk about when it comes to John Carpenter movies. Um, I know Peter and I are big fans of this one as well. Uh, can't wait to hear what Eric thinks about it. But before that, Eric, we want you to get a chance to introduce yourself to our audience with our patented, uh, <laughs> because Trump will approve any patent, uh, three <laughs> things about yourself. Okay, so I've been playing keyboard since I was four years old. I started off with a Casio synth and sampler. I uh, took piano lessons at age eight, and I've been playing ever since. Uh, last year, I started a production company called Inverted Lands with a good friend and college classmate of mine. So far, we've completed a short film that we're sending out to a bunch of festivals, 
And we're oh excellent, and we're actually prepping an animated short film this time. Oh man, that's ambitious. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah, it's a little bit in the vein. We're thinking of the Snowman, which is a short film that we love. Are you talking about the the like Christmas short? Yeah, the nineteen eighties. Uh, yeah, that uh, had the David Bowie intro, and you know, it's very yeah. kind of it's more melancholic than a lot of the other kind of Christmas animated films. Yeah, very much so. And but it still is kind of hypnotizing. I remember my daughter, it was like on TV and she was like a year and a half old and I was like it was just on TV and I was going to change it cuz I'm like well, why would she be interested in that? And she was like just staring bug-eyed at it and when I tried to change it she was like, "No. No." <laughs> and like she sat and watched the whole thing and I was like, "What the fuck is this?" Um, but but it, but it really is just hypnotizing. Yeah. Yeah, it was insane. Are you interested in scoring for any of your own film projects? Yeah, actually, so the short film that we did complete, which was a sci-fi drama narrative short, um, I co-composed with the director. So we haven't put the short online yet because we're doing the festival run. They're kind of proprietary depending on where you send it in. But on our website, we will have some some clips of some stuff that we've done in a reel. Uh, When you actually can share the short, um, we'll put it on the site. It doesn't matter if it's like... Two weeks from now or two years, it doesn't really. Yeah, doesn't matter to us. We'll put we'll put it on our site. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, did we get a third thing? No. Okay. So one of the other things is the first film that really scared me was E.T. Actually, in the <laughs> opening scene, if you remember the the ball coming back and forth, that really freaked yeah. me out. Yeah. Uh, so I'll say my wife. Uh, that is the movie that scared her the most. She doesn't like that I own it. Uh, and when I suggested and when I suggested showing it to our daughter, she like was really like, no, like she is that movie fucked her up in a way I can't really un- explain. But uh, yeah, no, she she will not watch that movie if it's on TV for two seconds. So I get it. So well, yes. thank you, yeah, thank you so much for sharing, Eric. Uh, we'll definitely get the point. <laughs> That's what a weird way to say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> thank you. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Aaron's really hard. It's insane. Sharing is Aaron. caring. I assure you. <laughs> I assure you, if he sounds like he's being an asshole, he's being sincere. <laughs> It's the only way we've made the show work. I appreciate it. <laughs> That's just Peter just says that to himself over and over to be like, <laughs> "That's his mantra." Yeah. Um, but uh, so we have a game, uh, and we have a repeat game. We rarely have repeat games, uh, but this this seemed like too good of an opportunity to pass up to do a repeat of name that tuned in review. Uh, if, for those of you that don't remember our hacks and episode. Tuned In is the uh, pop culture uh, publication of Focus on the Family, an extreme far-right Christian organization that does reviews uh, of of mainstream movies, and uh, they usually have a quick plot summary uh, and then a description of how much drugs are in the movie, how much violence is in the movie, if there's any positive messages, any godlike, any, any references to spirituality, how much sex is in the movie – all that kind of stuff, and then a, a quick conclusion. Uh, a lot of times the conclusions are very funny. Uh, if you didn't listen to the last time we did this, for example, they had a negative review of uh, the 1998 Godzilla movie because it used uh, God's name too lightly uh, in the name of the titular character. <laughs> <laughs> but he's nice. the god of the Zillas. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so stuff like that. Now – Last time I did just general horror movies the last couple years. This time, because we're doing an Antichrist movie, I went and picked uh, Devil and Possession and those types of related movies. 
I'm very excited about this. I am. I'm going to read a excerpt from their conclusion section. Uh, all of these are, uh, you know, devil possession. Uh, something could border on like ghost demons movies that have come out in the last 20 years. And so I think last time, uh, you know, getting to pick any movies that I thought that they would dislike, uh, and I, it was a 10 out of 10. Everyone I went to, there was something hilarious. Here's what I suspected, and here's what I found with this one. Because a lot of these movies have an element of biblical imagery involved, the devil, demons, God, that kind of stuff, they are negative on most of these movies, but they have a much lighter touch. And I think that's because they just like hearing about their guy mentioned in movies. <laughs> <laughs> so this is going to be a little bit less of that. Like, it follows like, oh, great. Everyone wants to fuck a girl. Gross. You're all bad. It is going to be a little bit where they try to tell you this is bad, but also be like, oh, but I heard... I heard my favorite character mentioned a couple times and that was nice. So I think I think this is going to be a little less a little less uh, laugh out loud at some of the ridiculousness of the reviews. But and I, I also think it's going to be a little bit more challenging for you guys. So we have 10 questions. Are you guys ready to play tuned in, tuned out and get the fuck out of here? I don't know. <laughs> oh, yes. wait, there's one more thing. So you have to tell me what movie. Uh, and then our rating scale for this. We really – we don't do much returning segments. So, Peter, do you remember what our rating scale after you find out uh, what the was, movie is about is? It was like um, – it was like Jesus Christ, it's, holy yep. fucking shit. And There's only two. It was it – was, so is it, a, is it a Jesus Christ or is it a – are you fucking shitting me? <laughs> um, those are the only two ratings. So we'll start. Who wants to start? Tuned in, tuned out. Get the fuck out of here. I'll go. Uh, yeah, Eric, you want to take the lead on this one? <laughs> All right. The first one. Now, remember, if I were, say, this uh, main character or this movie or the director, it's because I've replaced the – but everything else is absolutely verbatim from these reviews. This movie is what it is, a horrific, bloody, gory story about demons and the people they kill. To say it's salacious or gratuitous is wasteful because these kinds of words are selling points for this film's audience, not criticisms. It's supposed to be as salacious and unnecessarily bloody as over-the-top shocking as possible. Is it scary? Yes. But not nearly so frightening as something I saw in an early showing, a six-year-old girl sitting with her mommy, watching with eyes as wide as plates. Eric, name that movie. Yeah, I'm going to let Pete go because I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pass. I told you this is going to be a little bit more difficult. It is tricky, yeah. Because every demonic movie I can think of is like a paranormal activity or something that's not that bloody. Uh, I'll just say Blair Witch, like the Blair Witch reboot. It is 2013's Evil Dead. Oh, oh that checks out. Uh, the cassette fulfills all the categories you're talking about. Yep. Uh, so it is, uh, you know, they, they just are like, oh, yeah, it's pretty gross, but that's what they want me to say. And then, of course, the uh, the, the kicker is, but you know what is truly frightening? A six-year-old girl who will probably end up a drug addict, <laughs> a prostitute, a murderer. <laughs> well, that, that movie, movie begins with uh, a uh, intervention for a drug addict uh, woman, uh, Jane Lynch. 
Uh, yeah, they mentioned that a lot trucks. in the review too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's so last thing before we move on, uh, is this a Jesus Christ or uh, you got to be fucking shitting me? The latter. All right. Are you fucking shitting me? All right. Peter, your turn. Next one. It also promotes an unhealthy fear of Satan, at least for the Christian. In his book, The Screwtape Letter, C.S. Lewis wrote that men tend to fall into two positions with regard to the evil one. They either dismiss him as a myth or they are preoccupied with a terrible fear of him. Both serve Satan's purpose, according to Lewis. What's missing from, movie name, is an understanding of Satan's wiles and how subtle he can be in seducing people into evil. The movie does stress several times that Satan is the father of lies, but usually he's all blood, gore, and swarming flies. Um, Deliver Us from Evil? The Exorcist, The Beginning. Oh, oh wow. That's the, the Rennie Harlan one. The Rennie Harlan one is uh, very bad. But I figured that, because I know a ton of, especially I went to Catholic school uh, for 12 years in college. So almost like 16 years, pretty much, of Catholic school. And like, I met a lot of priests and nuns and stuff that loved the Exorcist movies. So I do like the idea that the the one positive thing this one says is, well, the movie does stress several times that Satan is the father of lies. Great. (laughs) You know, thank you for like (laughs) crossing that off the list. Yeah, like. Oh, thank you. The least you could do is stress that Satan is the father of lies. As if, like, you're watching Knocked Up and he's like, you're telling me you're pregnant? Oh, man. <laughs> and Satan's the father of lies. Like, what, what do you... There's, like, how many contexts can you really slip that in? I don't know. But it's like, I think people know that. It's like, it's, oh, at least they said that, at least they said that Spider-Man can swim, swing webs. Okay. <laughs> Bare minimum, Spider-Man webs. <laughs> also, like, that's the one thing that is always depicted about Satan is that he's like a liar and a trickster. <laughs> he's the father of macrame. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. Most evangelical Christians in particular are very anti-macrame, I've noticed. It'd be great if a movie really got it wrong and, like, he's the father of lice. <laughs> no! No! Lies! So the guy from Tuned In's just, like, punching his knee. Why are you doing this to me? Uh, all right, so is this a Jesus Christ or you got to be fucking kidding me? Um, I like that my second th- one changes every time I say it. Yeah, I'm going to say Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. These are a lot more Jesus Christy than last time it was a lot of you gotta be fucking kidding me. Well the last time it was very judgmental about like women doing anything but praying. <laughs> Eric, your next one is zero to zero. <laughs> you don't expect a secular horror movie to spell out the plan of salvation, especially one so full of violence and gore. But when a story firmly embraces the realities of hell and heaven and talks openly about the requirements for salvation, the results of misrepresenting the truth can be devastating. <laughs> I bet you thought that was going to be positive. It was not. (laughs) (laughs) And that kind of deception and confusion is the hallmark of our real spiritual enemies. Okay, let's see. The last exorcism. Peter, do you have a guess? Uh, I'm guessing it's not the last exorcism because that was exactly what I was going to say. Deliver us from evil again. No, I didn't pick Deliver Us From Evil. It's not on here. Okay, thank you. Stop guessing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, of course, it's uh, it's always a, the funnier one that you would go with, and it is the movie Constantine. 
Oh. What? Well, I also don't under like I, I can see why a movie would be offended uh, why like a mainstream Christian reviewer would be offended by Constantine because it's like about these like angelic figures that are like just like us and like the line between heaven and hell is very blurry and like it makes fun of the bureaucracy of heaven but like I figured they could find any of that to pin in the review as opposed to like you didn't specifically tap into my vision <laughs> of how to depict evil like what? <laughs> The, the, it really sounds like it's going to be one of the few positive ones where it's it like you don't expect you don't expect a secular horror movie to spell out the plan of salvation, especially one so full of violence and gore. But when a story firmly embraces the realities of hell and heaven and talks openly about the requirements for salvation, it's the fucking worst. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> Have you seen Constantine, Eric? Do you like it? I actually haven't seen it. It's so much fun, but I also have a specific good. a specific love for that kind of early 2000s like uh, adventure movie. All right, it is zero to zero. Peter, you are up. I think the clues get a little easier from here on out. Number four. In carrying out his bloody demon-slaying mission, the main character unwittingly proves that his revelation is not from God. The Lord does not call individual Christians to do battle with evil on a physical level. We are not to shed blood, no matter how sinful the people around us are. Neglecting this principle leads him down a path of murder and destruction, yet because he is utterly deceived, he walks that road with a clear conscience. This is an enticing one. Uh, Wow. Okay, process of elimination. This is how I'm going to do it. It's not baby geniuses. It's like... <laughs> oh, baby geniuses too. We'll award yeah. the points. <laughs> Peter, you get first guess on this one. Yeah, I... Uh, yeah, talking about like the trail of blood and, and such. Like, I'm going to have to go with... Did like... not say the trail of blood. <laughs> well, there's always uh, a trail of blood. <laughs> yeah, I was sort of, sort of like uh, approximating what you're saying. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. The I'm gonna have to go with like a like a blade two. <laughs> I wish. I, no. uh, uh, all right, Eric, your guess. I don't know. I'm coming up. I'm blank. The movie is two thousands. Frailty. I oh, thought a frailty. Man. I thought a frailty for sure, and then I didn't fucking put it in. Ah, oh, that's terrible. I thought it was too early. Based on the scripture, I was thinking some like bigger budget, like crazy, yeah. Oh wow, like okay. priest that, or some shit. Yeah, where it's yeah, like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Jesus Christ, or are you fucking kidding me? Um, are you fucking kidding me? Because the, I mean, I guess the movie is about faith in the sense that, like, and and the movie does like, I guess, like the twist ending. I don't know if people want to skip for 30 seconds for spoilers <laughs> for frailty from like 20 years ago. But the twist ending like essentially proves that the plan was correct and that God was yeah. on his side. Well, and I think what this review is saying, and this is where where some of these reviews get so frustrating, where they are reviewing for these movies and how like uh, how accurate they are towards their church canon, which is like not how movies work. Um, I honestly think because – and maybe it's because they're representing fictional constructs as truth that, that they get confused and think that like if you make a movie like Frailty that you are like, this is basically what God wants you to do. They're really – the whole review is like, no, God would not do that. So if he thought that was God, it was the devil. And the movie seems very confused as to what God would order or not order. And like they don't – they either like just are like, I don't like that 
or they just don't get it. A lot of these reviews have the sense that, like, they don't understand how fiction works. Or, like, individual vision. Like, yeah. the idea that, like, the mysteries of the cosmos and the mysteries of heaven and hell and God can be understood in different ways is, like... I, I just don't understand why you'd be like so closed off to that unless you're just like so deep into your bubble. Uh, for 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 tuned in magazine and a lot of people that are like the same type of contingent of people, it's like depiction does equal endorsement. That if you are <laughs> depicting anything, you are wholeheartedly endorsing it, which is why I feel like they're just so angry and confused all the time uh, <laughs> and not having any fun in any of these reviews. No, uh, so uh, it is still zero zero. We're getting slaughtered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> by by the host. It is four to zero, uh, Aaron. <laughs> so uh, this next one, uh, Eric, number five. This flick returns the director to his schlocky horror roots. In a sentence, it's filled with jump scenes and gross-out gags. It pulls us into the bowels of Hades while using spirituality as more of an excuse than a theme. A reason to fill the screen with, well, queez. That doesn't excuse it. In fact, it may actually make matters worse. Uh, a return to schlock? Okay. Drag me to hell? Yeah. You are correct. That was yeah. that was what I was going to guess. Nice work. Ding, ding, ding. Someone got a point. Again, Somebody got a is, fucking point. <laughs> See, Peter, <laughs> Peter, I listened to my instinct this time. Um, <laughs> last, last thing. Jesus Christ, or are you fucking kidding me? Eric. Are you fucking kidding me? all right number six peter the special effects laden end result of turning that short into a feature is unique with is there a god ruminations and the supernatural rapture of believers getting mangled and mashed up with graphic nudity lengthy arguments about masturbation and ejaculation drugged out binges and rapid fire f-bombs uh red state eric okay so based on a short film um i'm trying to think I'm going to pass. <laughs> there's, no, there's, no, there's no one to pass to. Um, except oh, me, the oh, host, who me. knows the uh, answer. It's me, uh, Mario. Uh, I would it's like me, to P- guess. Peter Rio. <laughs> uh, the answer is, this is the end. Oh. oh. Okay. That makes sense. I really, thought, yeah. I really thought you guys were going to get that one because... Well, okay. It was a, As soon as they said masturbation, I went from masturbation to Kevin Smith in approximately half a second. So... I was really, I'll say this right now. Antichrist is not one of these. I was so hoping they had a review for Antichrist. Like, <laughs> uh, uh, next one. Uh, Eric, I think you're up. This is number seven, right? I believe so, yes. Hollywood keeps pumping. And Eric's had one zero, Peter. Jesus fucking Christ. Get it together. Uh, Hollywood, Hollywood keeps pumping out these kinds of movies because we humans can't help but sense and in many ways be drawn to the spiritual things around us. But even for those who might dismiss the idea of faith in a loving God, I suspect that somewhere deep down, even those folks instinctively know that dabbling in dark spirituality is a taboo thing. Man, the phraseology of this is so hard to yeah, decipher. I, <laughs> I almost have to like, completely rewire my brain to try to make sense of this. Okay. Just hit your head really hard a few times on like a counter. Uh, Ouija. You are half correct. I'm going to give it to you. It is a Ouija uh, origin of evil. Oh, okay. Ding, ding, ding. That was the after Drag Me to Hell. That was the other one that I was like, uh Definitely whiff on, whiff on this one, Eric. I need you to whiff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Is that a Jesus Christ or you got to be fucking kidding me? 
the latter. Jesus Christ, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Uh, Alright, Peter, make no mistake, there's some sensationalized darkness here, especially the coughed-up nails and red-eyed mule fiend. This is an intense, sometimes graphic depiction of two men's direct encounters with evil spiritual forces, as only Hollywood can visualize it. But it's also a sober look at something modern. Western Christians don't spend very much time thinking about in our spiritually sterile, logically ordered iPod-enhanced world. <laughs> All that makes... <laughs> I, and that makes it a poignant reminder that we are indeed in a spiritual battle. A battle that rages all around us, even if the vast majority of us, thankfully, will never experience it quite like the people in this story do. Peter, this is a positive review. This is a positive review. Um, uh, 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 the right? Correct! Yes. <laughs> um, all right. It is one to two. Eric, it is number nine. It's your last one. Peter, still anyone's game here. You get a steal here. You get the last one right. And then you've it ties done up. it. <laughs> nope. Then you've won. It's, that'd, be, that'd be two points. It's two to one. Oh, okay. I got it. We need Zach, our math teacher, on. <laughs> uh, really lay these things out. Last one, Eric. The clear message that it matters more how you end things than how you start them is a good one. Uh, it par- it parallels Jesus's parable about the two sons found in Matthew 21 as the idea that none of us have to remain slaves to our evil inclinations, but nonstop violence and nods to necromancy should dissuade discerning families from bonding with this boy from down under. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> Peter, did you end that with the boy from down under? Yeah. Yeah. With the boy from down under. Like, I feel that that's an important clue. I just have no idea how the hell it connects to anything that came before. Yeah. Um, Nonstop violence and nods to necromancy should dissuade discerning families from bonding with this boy from down under. Boy from down under. Yeah, I got to I'm spending too much time. I got to give it up. You guys are going to be pissed. Because you're dead on. That's a big clue. What if I say that is a huge clue and essentially gives it away quickly? It's not the movie Australia. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This boy from down under. Hellboy, Hellboy, Hellboy. You are correct. It is Hellboy. Yes. Yes. Uh, I'm going to give the I'm going to give the win to Eric because I like Hellboy. Hey, it's fucking tied and you still have one more, Peter. I'm going to give the win to Eric. If there's no win. You're tied. You don't have a you don't have a goddamn win to give. Sorry. No, I thought the nine was the last question, and it was for two points. I misunderstood you. Oh, really? Yeah. Or are you just being sarcastic? I, no, I was being sincere. I thought I thought it was actually the last one. Why would I? Why would I not make them even? I don't know. You just make the last one for two points, so it's a guaranteed uh, guaranteed tiebreaker. Anyways, go on. All right. Uh, well, so is that Jesus Christ, or you got to be fucking kidding me? Um. I got so excited about getting it right. Uh, it's it's got to be you got to be fucking kidding me because uh, Hellboy is like not concerned at all with like traditional Christian theology and like. But I they still kind of like it. They still like they're again. It doesn't matter because they're like, well, I like the idea that no one has to remain slaves to our evil inclinations, including uh, this demon boy from hell. <laughs> uh, but, but I don't like that there's so much violence and the nods to necromancy. Like the not, I don't even fucking remember nods to necromancy. Oh, but like, so couldn't uh, that be? But oh wait, I remember now. The nods to necromancy are the bad guys. 
who are using I just I don't understand why like referencing these bad uh, things uh, is you, like you know what it is um and what? this is is it cheating that I literally have a Hellboy comic book sitting on the bed next to me in the room <laughs> yes go on uh okay uh you can deduct points as as you see fit it's the sequence that's literally on the cover of the the book that I have on the bed and it, it's um and it's the sequence where he awakens that uh Russian skeleton with the little yeah. amulet yeah, maybe oh, that's so because so it's the, like because a good the guy good guys it. use it. Oh, I see. Oh, longest I ever. Oh. I know. Edit, edit as much of that out as you want because I just like oh. fucking like nerd cord right in. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not sighing at you. I'm sighing at the movie being like, what a nice demon boy saying no to Satan. Don't like he used that amulet to bring the Russian skeleton back. <laughs> no good, sir. All right, last one, Peter. Your chance to win. Eric, your chance to steal the win, it's anyone's games or anyone's game. <laughs> Either way. S- similarly, while there are some positive lessons, they come across for the most part as trite platitudes. Obsessing on exterior beauty is shallow and bad. Consecrating on inner beauty is good. True enough, but characters' crimes seem not to be obsession or the love of clothes, if you will. It's the clothes themselves that are somehow wrong. Read 1 Timothy 6.10 to see how scripture deals with money in this regard. Uh, 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 um, and you said this is like a demonic supernatural movie? You're not like throwing the bling ring? Look, I had a category that this falls under that I said at the beginning. That I don't want to repeat now. <laughs> <laughs> ah, if only I knew how to pay attention. Um, <laughs> because I feel now it would give it away in my wording where it did not nine ep- nine nine clues ago. <laughs> uh, Devil Wears Prada? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'd like to uh, give this win graciously to Eric, uh, sure. our guest. Yeah, now it's fine. Yeah, now it's fine. Okay. Cool. Thank you, Peter. Great job, Eric. <laughs> yeah. yeah, great job, Eric. You did it! I fucking whiffed, man. My faith oh. was not strong enough. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it weird how we didn't get any right at first, and then did the game get better, or did we just have to like switch? I, I think I think the clues got more. Sp- I said I think the clues are going to get more specific. Okay, it's tough, and and again, um, you know, as the wrap up to this, I've said it a couple times. I suspected this was going to be the case. I thought that the the last time for this, we did basically ten horror movies in different genres. It was everything from the original Blair Witch to Godzilla to It Follows to The Witch to all these different things, and every single one they were like, uh uh-uh, uh, don't care for it. What we didn't do any of, besides, I think you could probably say the the Witch, is anything that like was a horror movie based in like Christian theology, and lo and behold. Their rebukes are much less harsh. Fucking last time they were tripping over themselves to like mock how dare anyone watch Coraline. <laughs> like, I mean, it was it was almost a joke. And I suspected that was going to be the case. Um, and I picked 10 movies and every single one was like this lighter touch. So I don't know if it makes for a pro- it probably makes for a less entertaining uh podcast game in the sense that there's not a lot of oh my god go fuck yourself you idiots but i think if anything it's a little bit telling how like they have their home team and and they just like hearing their 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 college schools fight song (laughs) even if they even if their team loses horribly and they don't care for the time they spent there 
Uh, so, so thank you so much for joining us for uh, the rare repeat game. I think we'll we'll try to do this more often, just because it is. I think it's well, it's funny, but I think it's almost informative to see like how a different type of moviegoer approaches uh, films in a very, I would say, uh, dishonest and morally bankrupt way. But, <laughs> uh, you know, they're watching them, and uh, you know, just like us, they love to watch. Just like, just like us. <laughs> they actually hate they, to watch. Yeah, they hate to watch. They don't they really like it. movies. Mm-hmm. Um, they think they're all a bad adaptation of the original source material, the Bible. Yeah. Oh, this is Satan wouldn't do any of this stuff. <laughs> At least they said he's the father of lies, but the rest of this is nonsense. Yeah. You- oh. <laughs> so, anyway, so thank you guys for playing. Eric, congratulations. Do you guys want to start talking about... John Carpenter's Satan movie, Prince of Darkness. I'd love to. Yes. Um, <laughs> Eric sounded very deaf. I'm possessed. Alternate, uh, you are alternate taglines. Uh, so, so I'm on alternate taglines, and Aaron is on a 90 second recap. So, alternate taglines. Um, these always feel like something I should prepare beforehand, but maybe I know, like we should, we should know. really start putting effort into this podcast mm. at some point. Mm. No way, muchacho. Not today. Not at this point. We're too deep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> over our dead blue snowballs. Ah, <laughs> uh, like, uh, like, uh, this this prince is dark. Like, what do you, what do you even what do you even riff off of? Um, we had no problem with this when we called it five second recap. We were like fucking on it. And then changing the name to alternate taglines is like, my brain yeah. is broken. God's not dead, and he's pissed. Or yeah. anti-God's not dead? Sure. Yeah, that's yeah. good. We can move on from that? <sighs> <laughs> this is a total side note, but, I, but there's, there's these moments where, like, I've you know, my daughter will do something that, like, she shouldn't do, and it's just like, I sigh. And she she now says to me uh, the problem with a three year old. She goes, Dad, why did you say? <sighs> is it because? And she she go, is it because of me? <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. yeah, yeah, it is because of you. <laughs> why, why is your daughter Joe Pesci? <laughs> <laughs> you, you talking to me? <sighs> oh, who sizes me? Oh, I'm gonna get my little fucking uh, toy mop that hurts when I hit people with it. It'll whack you across the ankle. Like, you hear that? An old person is prejudiced against babies. <laughs> it's, it's the combination of both the fact that she goes, she repeats it as like a much angrier like sigh. Like, why'd you go? <sighs> and then like, cause of me. <laughs> 
points to itself. <laughs> okay, uh, Aaron. Aaron. All right, 90 second recap. recap. We gotta go. So, yes. So this this group of um so for uh, blah uh, thank you Aaron. a priest <laughs> ninety second verbal meltdown uh so a priest dies uh and then another priest is like oh my god this priest was part of a secret order that uh, protected a giant bottle of ooze uh, left by TGR from uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Secret of the Ooze. Uh, shaped the exact same. Someone ripped off someone. Call the lawyers. <laughs> New Line Cinema. Uh, so he then goes to a college professor who says, uh, who's like, look, there's this crazy shit in this basement. Gather all of your students who have, and, and come down, we're going to analyze this thing. Because this may not just be a religious problem. This could be a science problem. So you have religion. You have science. They're in the basement of a church. All these these kids are working together to solve problems. Meanwhile, it turns out they kind of discover that this isn't just the Antichrist from a religious standpoint, but based on quantum mechanics, the idea of God is actually like an anti-God. Like in the same way anti-matter destroys matter when it comes in contact to anti-God actually gets into our sub-particles. So it's, it's the idea that they got the lyrics right to religion but not the music or vice versa. Meanwhile, people are dying uh, in the church basement. A lot of these students are getting picked off by these – by these kind of uh, homeless people that have surrounded the church and are getting infested with bugs and slowly um, killing them uh, until eventually there comes a showdown where the Antichrist, Anti-God, is trying to uh, put himself in one of the women. She stops it through this great special effects sequence. And then at the end of the movie, she kind of she disappears into the void where the Anti-God uh, was contained. Uh, at the end of the movie, there's been this this reoccurring dream that everyone's having that looks like a bad videotape of someone coming out of this same church, and they realize that it is the woman who got sucked in coming back out, and this this dream they've been having is actually a message from 1999 saying, we need to stop this because this is actually when uh, the Antichrist, the anti-God comes into play through this person, that this was all part of the plan and that we are all doomed to be destroyed by anti-God. Uh, that was a great recap, Aaron. Um, so, yeah, that's that's Prince of Darkness. So um, so thanks for joining us. So plugs. thanks for joining us. Uh, <laughs> like I said at the beginning of the show, Prince of Darkness is actually the third in the loose trilogy, the loose thematic trilogy of John Carpenter's uh, Apocalypse trilogy, which are all supposed to be <clears throat> um, it starts with a thing. And then it goes from In the Mouth of Madness, and uh, then it goes to Prince of Darkness. Um, so in that in that sense, uh, this movie is, like you heard before, it has very interesting thematic resonances that we'll get into with The Thing and Mouth of Madness. And, and it, also, it also has John Carpenter's similar sentiment towards some sort of nihilistic tendencies, some Lovecraftian cosmic horror tendencies. And yeah, we'll we'll get into that. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about our, our personal experience with this movie because – so I saw this for the first time in high school and I didn't care for it. I kind of want to – maybe this is worth talking about. Maybe it's not. I don't know. That's what you get to find out on a podcast. But essentially, I didn't really see horror directors as like 
this idea of like an auteur or or like even notable in this sense that like I do now. Uh, part of it is being raised by like the Roger Eberts and the AFI, and that really what led to my cinephilia, where it was like this idea of like the Cohen brothers and 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 Fincher and all these directors that I really liked, but that the people that made like genre horror movies, they made good ones sometimes, like a Halloween or uh, you know or or The Shining. That's a bad example because I really liked Kubrick. Kubrick would have been in the former example, but it wasn't like they also had like a ton of shit, and that was basically the arc of a of a horror film director. Um, and so when I watched this, I was just kind of disappointed that the apocalypse felt so small. Here you have the Antichrist coming into the world and they hang out in a church basement and then at the end nothing happens. So I didn't dislike it, but I was just like, okay, fine. Uh, And then I watched it again a few years later when I was much more into John Carpenter. At that point, I had seen The Thing and was a big fan and kind of recognized the error of my genre uh, filmmaker hating ways or hating is not the right word, but dismissive ways. And uh, really liked it. And I've seen it, obviously, this week, uh, as well as like a couple years ago. Every time I like it more. I really, really like this movie so much so that if we had to go back and do our ratings from last week, I think I would bump this up even higher. The fact that it's this story of like taking taking a religious text and the religious idea of the apocalypse and trying to meld it with science. And then the super great gore effects the the creepy d- death scenes the whole bug like i this is such a good fucking movie i feel like every time i watch it i like it even more and and this time was no exception so i'm very excited to be gushing about it for the next hour um yeah eric thank you very much aaron eric uh do you have any background on this movie have you seen it before that we watched for the show or I had seen it before. When I moved to my current residence in 2014, I watched it as part of the Horror Challenge. This film did not go down well with the critics when it was first released, but it's had a resurgence since. On that first watch, I liked it, but when I revisited it last week, it really grew in my estimation. One of the things I really like about Prince of Darkness is the sense of dread and inevitability. It also has one of the most memorable shots in Carpenter's entire filmography. A character who has sacrificed herself trying to stop evil is on the other side of a mirror with her hand outstretched, reaching for the light with a look of absolute terror. It's chilling and one of the best shots he's ever done. Oh, yeah. It is. It is a perfect ending because uh, he uh, does what Carpenter is best at. He, he leans into his strengths, which is letting your mind fill in the gaps. And he does that in numerous ways. Uh, in Halloween, he uses uh, the shape, yeah. shadow to feel the sort of sense of oppression and that, like, you, he, you know, Michael Myers could be in any shadow. He's literally called the shadow, I think, credited in that movie. Um, the shape. The shape. There we go. Yeah, he's like it's he's like supposed to be this nondescript thing that could arise from anywhere. Carpenter's very good at that sort of uh, that nebulous horror, and I agree with you, Eric. That last shot is terrific, um, and it, it just like makes you wonder, you know, if it'll ever end, but in a way that only Carpenter can really do. Um, that sense, and that that this was a, an interesting movie for me because I watched it in high school, and I liked it, but it was definitely like mid-tier Carpenter. The movie was not well-reviewed when it came out. I think it currently, even on Rotten Tomatoes, has like a 50-something. Like, it, it, it's not... It's it's a movie that it's cult. 
It's cult has decided that it's a good movie, but it's not like defended with the same vigor that They Live or Assault on Precinct 13 or, or whatever are. For for me, the, the film was at the time I was this uh, movie that I in high school, I like I think I used the term beer guzzler. Because it was like this, these specific brand of horror and action movie, the specific brand of genre movie where you, the logic might not line up, but you like a lot of the images and the tone and the atmosphere and like the, the texture of it. So you just kind of like ride along the wave. Like, it doesn't matter. Like you can, you can go walk over to the, the fridge and get a beer. Like you can talk to your friend and you pop back in and out and it's still fun. And then I kind of put the movie aside and then, weirdly enough, kind of my model for the type of horror movie that I enjoy most nowadays, um, which is something with a, a few theological or philosophical concepts for me to chew on between trashy bits. They'll give you everything. They'll give you the trash and then they'll give you like as best as this kind of movie can do theological arguments and concepts. Uh, yeah, I think really one of the geniuses of this movie is this, I mean, obviously this idea of melding science and religion. And John Carpenter talked about, I, I watched an interview with him on this on this uh, Blu-ray, uh, the Scream Factory Blu-ray, which if you like this movie or are thinking about picking up, I cannot recommend highly enough. The transfer is absolutely gorgeous, as is the case with a lot of these Scream Factory releases. But anyways, he talks about how he read a book on quantum physics and and was like, well, that's an interesting component. What if this idea of what we think of as God and evil and this kind of stuff kind of permeates us in this this physical world that we don't understand, that what people have called religion is actually a real thing, but just not in the way that they understand it, which is obviously kind of underlined by the priest, whose character name is Priest in this movie. So don't, this is not one of those situations where I don't know the name of someone. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> um, um, but it is, um, it's, it's a great juxtaposition and it adds a lot of weird components that I don't think you could do otherwise, which is like having Satan be trapped in this, this giant glass bottle of like moving green gas uh, or liquid. And it also sets up a lot of like great imagery. Like, man, I really love the, all the different scientists kind of setting up in this like old, you know, 300 year old Gothic cathedral. And like that juxtaposition of the, the stained glass and the statues and like the decay of a, of a church that hasn't been kept up with all the, the latest 1980s gear. Yeah. I think that the, and also like the cheapness of the church is nice. Cause like that mm -hmm. sort of degraded quality is, is uh, believable. And I love that it wasn't like, I mean, though, I'm sure Carpenter would have loved to have shot at the fucking Vatican if he could, but uh, I love that it's sort of like probably a church that wasn't in wasn't in use or dilapidated in some sense. And, and well, he actually said he actually said that he picked this out because he liked that. Uh, he said that L.A. has so many good places or I fuck. I'm actually forgetting whether it was L.A. or New York. I want to say it was L.A. This looks like but LA. He said, yeah, it was. He's like, there's so many great places in L.A. to shoot because so much of the city was so run down at the time. Yeah, especially for his purposes. And I, and I like to yeah. say there's a sort of tone to this movie that's that that is really compelling to me where it both wants to have these theological conversations, but it also wants to have trashy, grungy, uh, yeah. exploitive, exploitative uh, moments like somebody literally gets Alice Cooper plays the head hobo, a hobo army arises 
to uh homeless you know, american please be yeah <laughs> a, a homeless american <laughs> army literally arises to uh try and uh, intimidate and threaten and if they try and leave the church kill the members of this scientific crew that's working inside this church and that's like super like that's like a little bit of assault on precinct 13 with this like mindless horde that's just like laying siege to the building it's it's uh but the the theological concepts being bound to the scientific concepts is also super interesting because the movie is also this meld between like trashy and like i don't know more respectable um concepts for a movie i think some people might find the kind they don't find the conversations between the professors interesting uh, it could be horrible. So yeah, Aaron, the, the point that you made uh, that it's sort of science and religion coming together is very interesting because it also reminded me of specifically uh, Lovecraft. Sorry, Lovecraft. Uh, <laughs> he uh, loved the idea of using what he thought was like modern science or like his idea of like pop science and like melding it with uh, uh, religious concepts. Um, yeah. And in particular, like cults. So, like, he he would have you know uh, researchers stumbling upon old religions, and like he loved the idea of of those two sort of worlds coming together and having to understand one another. Also, in Lovecraft's world, the gods are also real. So, like, that's something that would be a phenomena worth that worth studying. It would maybe be the most worthwhile phenomena for a scientist. And the Lovecraft connection is also interesting because, like, Lovecraft also was a racist. And Lovecraft took a lot of scientific concepts or pop science or pseudoscience, mostly pseudoscience, and like used that to justify some of his crazy racist beliefs about race mixing and that like, you know, certain races when they spend too much time together, blah, 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 blah. Horrible shit. I mean, to be fair, I'm against race mixing, too. I don't think that the 400 meter relay and the 1600 meter relay should be run in the same same (laughs) game. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean like um like black and white people. So oh, like no, that's when people fine. say race mixing, they don't they're not usually referring to like track events. Oh, cuz I'm like I get it like if one person has a relay baton and the other person doesn't, I can see why that would be a problem. So like how would you interpret the term mixed marriage? I would say that you uh you're married to more than one person. You mix it up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, like mixed nuts. Yeah. Like, there's exactly. not just, like, peanuts and almonds in there. That would be a very boring mixed nut. It's like if 30 different people were married, I would say that's a mixed marriage. Yeah. Is that so, incorrect? That's, hey, there's no wrong way to make a family. Um. So, anyway, so Lovecraft is into those concepts, whatever. And this movie even throws out, like, <laughs> for a, uh, it was, this, movie, this movie even threw out uh, these concepts, like, a tachyon is this, like, hypothetical particle that can travel faster than light, and that's how these people are receiving these messages from the future, that it's traveling, like, backwards through time faster than light, so it's getting to us faster than in a normal amount of time. I don't know. So, and that's, yeah. I thought tachyons weren't, the- I'm, I'm not trying to, like, actually you. Um, but I, th- I actually thought that they, uh, they were not theoretical anymore, or is that, am I incorrect? Uh, I was under the impression tachyons were still a hypothetical concept oh. of particles. I think, are you, are you thinking of, like, the god particle and such? No, I just, I remember at some point they, they did, like, find a tachyon, and, but yeah. I, maybe, I might be taking, maybe I was watching Star Trek. Eric, where, where do you land on tachyon existence? I have no idea. <laughs>
Yeah, there's a there's a character in like so there pro. Was a, there's a character in Ratchet and Clank called like Emperor Tachyon or something. Um, really interesting. Uh, <laughs> but anyways, uh, my final point on the Lovecraft Eric and the race things. things. Okay. My final point on the love the Lovecraft and the race thing, and this is something we didn't talk about. I didn't talk about the racism of Lovecraft at all last week. Um, is that the fun thing about adapting Lovecraftian concepts to 1984, 1994, whatever, to present day, you can like just dump all of his weird socio-racial bullshit. Like you can just dump it all. Like this movie is very diverse. This is probably Carpenter's most diverse movie. Ghost of Mars is pretty diverse too, I think. This is diverse on race and gender and age and economic background and religious beliefs and like this is a very very diverse movie and it's interesting to see all these people who react to stress differently have to react to this crazy situation and be bound together in this crazy situation um yeah and as, as long as we're talking about the group i here i agree it's 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 really great but i think there's another element outside of the thematic thing why this group works really well together and i think it's really the genius of the film this this group doesn't know each other that well there are a few characters that have a relationship but they're basically you know they grab a bunch of different people from the university in different departments and they put them here to solve this mystery and some people are acquaintances and stuff like that and the situation that they're solving is so insane that everyone buys the fact that people could just leave and be like fuck this this is nuts i want out of here and most of them aren't close enough friends to even, like, pay attention to where X person went. That's a genius concept because it allows John Carpenter to kill off people throughout the entire movie in these amazing sequences and not have the fact that people are disappearing be in any way suspicious in a way that, like, scratches credulity to the audience where they're like, come on. Where where aren't they worried about where all these people went? Or the other thing that happens in a lot of horror movies, which is people don't react well. You know, they they're like, oh my god, Tony died. Well, back to work. You know, it avoids all of that. So you get the story to have like a forward momentum that doesn't let your your main cast of characters be, get clued into the uh, the impending doom that's literally surrounding the church. But you don't have to wait until the last 20 minutes to see a bunch of people get horribly, brutally murdered in that wonderful John Carpenter way. That's true because, yeah, that's the slasher problem is that it's all – you're just waiting for them to get to the fireworks factory in the third act where everybody gets murdered. In this movie, it's a large enough group and also it's a research project. Everybody is off doing their own thing. It's not like they're all in a room praying together or some shit. They're all doing their own thing. Some people are sleeping. Some people are working. They're giving, like, leave to each other to go to go work. It's it's uh, not a situation where, like, it, like when, when people do go missing, like, they call for a group. Like, it's kind of frustrating, but it's the same way where it's, like, when you're working on a group project with somebody and they're just like, oh, I guess they went home for the night. <laughs> Eric, what did you think about we about a bunch of stuff we just said? 
One of the things you've been touching on is the level of ambition in this film. You have this blend of apocalyptic horror, demonic possession, zombies, quantum mechanics, gateways to other realities, and a really cool concept which could have been in its own film, which is the idea of shared dreams. Yeah. The characters are linked visually in the dream state and are all experiencing the same thing. The way that Carpenter portrays that is really brilliant, yeah. where you get more and more information as it goes on. These little glimpses into a final horrifying and unexpected reveal. Yeah, and that ending is so great because you don't the, – the shadow that the person that's coming out of the church casts, it reminds me of uh, of the, the master from Manos, the Hands of Fate. Like I picture this like giant hulking, robe-wearing antichrist demon stand-in like walking out of the church. And the fact that it was always like essentially our main uh, main protagonist – uh, who's like sauntering out and that's the image that we've been seeing this entire movie is so wonderfully uh, creepy and and you know rightfully deserving of its twist. The dream sequences have an eerie quality and the quick agitated bursts of information are potent. I was reading that Carpenter shot these scenes on video and then re-photographed them on a TV to give the appearance of a live transmission. I think it turned out really wonderfully. Yeah. It's amazing looking. Even on Blu-ray I thought maybe I used to watch this movie on DVD. Uh, I just recently got the Blu-ray for this watch. I thought maybe Blu-ray would ruin it Um, because like uh, I I got Paranormal Activity on Blu-ray and like I kind of liked it better on DVD. Why? Because this is is like the same concept, the sort of um, sort of thinness to the image and that sort of distance that you put between yourself and specifically like a found footage concept. Um, yeah, okay. it's really great. No, not because it's paranormal activity. It's it's a found footage movie. It's shot on cheaper digital cameras. Like it's it's given an, an aspect of value. This movie is beautiful. John Carpenter, uh, wide shots and tight edited shots and a lot of color. It actually kind of reminds me of a giallo at times. Yeah, um, it's very trashy, like a giallo in, in many senses. But it it uh it's a very beautiful, colorful movie. And then there's these slashes of of like ugly, distorted tape in the middle, and it's so creepy. He understood YouTube uh, and Marble Hornets thirty years before they even did. <laughs> that like it, you know, little slashes of the image can be much scarier than ninety minutes of it. Yeah, as I was saying before, you could do a whole film based on that concept, but the way Carpenter implements it by parceling out the information slowly was very effective. I think this is one of the only times that I've ever seen the mixed media thing done well with regards to horror. Yeah, and it's it's on top of that one one thing he uses to such an amazing effect is the is the bugs and the insects. Yes. Where which which get I feel overused in horror movies because it's it's obviously something that we have a natural like revulsion to as like a species because we just you know we just don't understand how they move and nothing really makes sense about them and they they also are a good stand-in for this idea of like a wave of unstoppable creatures because if you've ever had ants or anything else it is just like good luck Aaron because we're literally dealing with an ant problem right now I, I know it's uh, and miserable. We, we literally have Terminex that comes out every month because we have had so many uh wasp infestations and it's the it's the problem of kind of like living in the suburbs in like a wooded area where it's just it's it's a never-ending battle question and is you, your daughter satan i mean i i assume <laughs> I mean, <laughs> why else we, would you we, be spending so much money on keeping this kid alive and happy yeah i mean we had you know we we conceived over an altar of blood 
Oh, uh, nice. Surrounded by all, by all of our best friends wearing antlers. I was going to say, is your wife a jackal also? Uh, well, I don't want to answer that in case you ever listen to this episode. <laughs> Sounds like a personal Jack question. I'm sorry. Meetings. Uh, no. But yeah, I mean, if it didn't work, I feel like that a bunch of our friends just got to see us fuck for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> Which is in its own way, its own reward. Well, I mean, we would have charged them. That's true. That's true. And maybe like I mean, that's... Dr- drilled holes in the guest room or whatever the adjoining room is instead of like ha- actually having them stand in the room. Exactly. 50 bucks a minute. So $25. (laughs) Dick talk. Dick talk. Eric, how's your dick? (laughs) Welcome to dick talk. We forgot to do it at the beginning. Yeah, we need to like get 90 second recap. Yeah. <laughs> 90 second recap. Uh, I can do it in 30. <laughs> uh, What's your mole sitch? <laughs> um, but so anyway, so uh, yeah, so the the bug, so besides just a, this the, uh, a thematic resonance of this like encroaching terror that is unstoppable, uh, the effects are done so well from the first homeless lady that they see that has like a couple ants crawling on her face. And it's like, well, that's weird. But, you know, I suppose they don't shower. A couple, uh, a couple to, worms. Yeah. To like the worms just on the window that get more and more. Uh, to like the apex of it, which is basically like a, a one of the former researchers that is literally held together by uh, beetle glue, I guess would be the only way to describe it, <laughs> where after he delivers his message just falls, all his body parts fall off as like beetles must have been like, hold, hold that together. <laughs> oh, we have an creep- important message. Oh, it's over. Let go. We're free. Oh, it's going to weird him out so much. It's going to be awesome. We're beetles. Yeah. <laughs> But but Wait, it's, it's no, so- Aaron. Can you do that with um, British accents? Like maybe from the lovable lovable lads from Liverpool. Who's <laughs> we'll just hold Help. here? <laughs> uh, hello, I'm from Britain. Tea crumpets. <laughs> no. Oh look, I'm from Italy. <laughs> Spaghetti. Oh, you want a pizza pie? <laughs> Um, yeah, the the uh, the bug thing is great. It also reminds me of Fulci movies. Um, it reminds me of a lot of it. The whole movie reminds me of an Italian movie, but actually on rewatch, a lot of the loose ends oh. together. What did you say? What happened? I said, oh, because you said it reminds you of an Italian movie. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh. I thought you were oh. a there. <laughs> yeah, you, like your, your wasp uh, infection had, had heard you talking shit about it. And they're like, what did that fucker say? I actually thought uh, one of the more effective instances with the bugs, uh, when you have the one character, he's playing cards, you know, lonely night out playing cards and watching TV, there's some kind of scientific discovery. And then the camera pulls back and you see the swarm of bugs just right behind the TV. So simply done, but yet just utterly effective. It's wonderful. And also, uh, I've heard that now it's actually really hard to do um, these bug movies like movies Each one has like, their own agent. Because, because, because seriously, like um, PETA and the ASPCA or whatever organization is, is you know, particularly, you know, involved in it's, the shoot. It's definitely PETA. Uh, ASPCA is a good one. Doesn't let you crush bugs on film. So, like, you have to, like, track the number of cockroaches that you use and have to return them to the fucking set. Can I say that that, as an animal lover, is dumb? 
Yeah, as somebody who, like, legitimately refuses to watch Cannibal Holocaust or the TV show Luck, because they both are, like, sort of involved with animal cruelty, like, Luck luck indirectly, like, they didn't mean to hurt the horses, they didn't mean to kill the horses, and Cannibal Holocaust, because they specifically meant to kill that turtle and the monkey or whatever the fuck they kill in the movie, like, I specifically don't watch those kind of movies, I do not give a shit if they step on a bug. I, we haven't really talked about negative things, but the, the... The one thing I don't – I'm not a huge fan. I think this movie does it fine is like the turn – this really goes into like some Romero territory I feel like in the back third uh, where it is just all of a sudden uh, zombie attacks after a lot of clever deaths and clever components to those deaths. Um, it does still like make it interesting uh, in that they have like weird venom spit and and it doesn't go on too long but definitely think that that's the one component that gets a little uninspired when it's just shambling zombies like half-heartedly for 20 minutes i do think that he does some smart things though with it where yeah um they're giggling and they have dialogue and they're like more emotive and like some of them are like zombies where they're just kind of shuffling back back and forth but also their characters were kind of zombies that didn't have any characterization but um because they, they some, were religious. Yeah, they're not moving in a zombie thing where they're not they're moving more like a possessed a horde of possessed. It's more of a yeah, it's more of a possession type thing where like they're not necessarily moving just like out of pure raw id and instinct like a Romero movie would. They're moving almost for creepy value. Like they're laughing and they're like giving taunting phrases like to bother uh, the heroes doing weird like crawling movements and fast movements and slow movements like they're not a consistent thing and that's what made it interesting to me. In terms of the movement, if you remember, there's a scene where Dennis Dunn's character is trapped in a room with other characters on yeah. the other side of the door who aren't moving and going after him right away. That's odd that they're not going after him, but it builds tension. Then there's an impetus, and all of a sudden, the lack of consistency works for the type of vibe that Carpenter's going for. There's an unpredictable force from beyond calling the shots. Yeah, and it's, it obviously is controlled by this, this really unseen force, because one of the great things about this is it's... We have this idea of, like, Satan in movies and in fiction, in that he is, like, he is someone who we know why he wants to take over the world, and we know what kind of mechanisms he wants to use, and he, we know that he just hates God, and he's this 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 kind of person with a vendetta. This posits it as, like, a supernatural force that is using these mechanisms that people have interpreted as satanic with a lot more um, evil around it, but it really is just this force that's like causing these things and doing these warnings. And I think you could say, and this force u- uses these things that we are interpreting as like these these tropes and these things that it's doing that we're all used to. But at the end of the day, that's just how it's like permeating and perverting our humanity as a way to eventually leak out and destroy the world through its uh, collision with, with the god particles, so to speak. One of the elements I like about this film was a cynical view of religion. Donald Pleasance's character says, We were salesmen, that's all. We sold our product to those who didn't have it. There's this idea that the Catholic Church is using misdirection, hiding a secret of great importance, and shielding the people from a more sinister truth. Well, yeah, because they say right at the beginning that they, like, basically, they knew the truth about the nature of reality, the nature of God, the uh, the nature of Satan from the get-go. And they're like, 
it that it that they they thought devoting this idea of like spirituality was going to be a better sell for them why they could deal with the physicality and the reality of uh evil and uh good particles colliding yeah and uh the movie seems to use christian dogma and also this god and anti-god kind of stuff and satan as these like terms of convenience basically for the audience's sake because the movie's like yeah and this is a movie that people complained at at the time was too overloaded with monologues about theology and lore and the movie's very lore heavy don't get me wrong but I love when it's lore heavy because I love all the conversations. And when you have shit like Victor Wong and Donald Pleasance having this like super intense conversation about science and God, like that stuff is really involving to me. And then when it cuts to, you know, more slashery, trashy elements, I'm enjoying both of them at the same time because my brain is still still working. And um, the, the the idea that this this these terms of they're like terms of convenience, like you're like. Yeah, it's an anti-god because, like, there's no other way to really comprehend it. Like, we we don't have a name for it. It didn't, like, come to us and be like, hey, I'm Tom. Like, it, it's... Anti-god. Yeah, it's... I'm Pro-life. An, yeah, I imagine nobody would ever be one to be called, like, anti-god or anti-Christ. Like, they're like, I've got a name, dude. Show some respect. Yeah, I, I and the, the way that they explain stuff really quickly is nice. Like, obvi- I think there's a there's a, a question of whether or not it's bad or if it's just uh, overly convenient or what uh, is the the idea of mirrors where they're like, there's a mirror universe, there's our universe, and then there's the overlay of a different universe. Um, and using mirrors as like a way to access that, like, is that too literal for you guys or does that work for you guys? It works for me because I, I feel like the mirrors as depicted in the movie is is almost a metaphor. Like, I, I don't think that they're actually saying, like, through mirrors is is the reverse of us or like an anti version of ourselves. I just think that because they're in close proximity of like the actual contained anti-god that those are like serving in the same way that like th- those are serving as like a way for him to like reach out and, and pervert uh, pervert the real world in the same way that like the movie's not saying that like all homeless people everywhere are are corrupted by like the reason they're homeless is if they're corrupted by this anti-god but that uh the people in the proximity of this have become perverted by his like his impending release from the the secret of the ooze canister this is such a corrupting evil force that anybody could be gobbled up like from worms to the smartest person you can get corrupted by this this force i also like the idea i think you can actually make a fair reading of it too by saying that um that it that evil is able to swallow them up and use them as a mechanism because they um they don't have as much distractions and it's able to like pierce through easier and it's just because, like, you know, they're not in front of their uh, their computers and they're not focusing on all this stuff. Like, they are just sitting and existing and trying to survive. And because it doesn't have the – they don't have as much distractions from the modern world, it makes them an easier target. I agree. Early on, there's a scene where Pleasance's character arrives at the church and a homeless lady suddenly appears in front of him and says, it's wonderful that you're opening the church again. If you were to set that on a more busy main street, I think it would be considerably less compelling and the presence of more bodies and noise would detract. The environment, Carpenter's use of space and visual geography helped to make that setting very important. Yeah. And I want to circle back to something else that you said, Peter, before we, we, we start naming scenes and wrapping up, because I think it's really important, which is... 
uh, th- that scene where where they have their talk and they just kind of are engaging in ideas and y- they are they are the themes in the movie and the ideas of the movies laid bare but they're not they're not like these surface area discussions they are like getting into what probably based on the interview I saw interested Carpenter in the first place. I you're right. Like I would have watched a half hour of that. Not just because they're great actors and, you know, are good at delivering scenes and who doesn't want to see those two go, you know, tit for tat, but also I don't think movies stop enough to to kind of discuss uh the the consequences and the implications of everything that they're seeing. And they just they want to use the imagery and they want to use the ideas to move the plot forward. One thing that Carpenter was always so good at was this, was this, hold on. I don't want to use quantum mechanics in this case or quantum physics as an excuse to propel a plot forward. I'm making this movie because the thing that interests me the most is the idea of quantum mechanics and quantum physics. And I, I want that to be a discussion point because that's what, that's what interests me. And, a lot of his movies do that. And and this is a great example of one where where the second they actually go back to the horror, you're like, oh, holy, I love the horror. Don't get me wrong. I love seeing people torn apart. Love it. But can you guys talk about science and religion some more? <laughs> yeah, I agree. And, it, and it's because it's uh, Carpenter is terrific at people having conversations about either the plot or – Life or thematic elements. Carpenter's really good at like swinging background and being like, "Hey, let's let's camp here for just a few seconds without it feeling to push you in the nose." Because he doesn't really care about catching you back up on story. He no. just cares about you catching back up on theme, which is like something that I think is a big distinction. Yeah, and I think the scene with Victor Wong and Donald Pleasance's character having a discussion is very impactful. You get more of a sense of them trying to relate because initially they're trying to figure out where the other guy's at, what is this all about, and then they lay it out there. Victor Wong's character is trying to think through what he's been told logically with the rationale of science. Pleasance's character is angry and cynical about the church's deception. Also, here's my thing. The question, if you're asking good questions and you're asking interesting questions, you don't need answers. You don't need, like, you just need to, like, get them out there and make the movie somehow, like, grab onto those questions and, and make them more interesting. Like, and this movie does that, like, these, like, mysteries of, like, you know, how do we deal with a distant god? Uh, is God, is the god that we picture the god that we have? Is there, is, are we the center of the universe or are we, you know, just here? Um, the movie seems to have like answers for some of those questions, but then it doesn't have like re- reasoning why, which is like a interesting thing because it keeps you chewing on on why. Um, and I love that. I, and holy shit, you know, what? I just realized something too. The, the, yeah, that that nature of God actually parallels to the bugs because this movie is positing that God and Satan are both like literally crawling in your skin, in your cells in the tiniest places, which is what the bugs actually come to represent, where they are crawling out of your skin now and they are all around you and they are like the macro version of what has existed under the surface in your cells that you didn't even realize was there. It's very Lynchian, but like on a macro level rather than like on a micro level. It's not about the small evils within us. It's like about like the massive, literally universe-sized evils within us. Um, Yeah. 
Yeah, so uh, what what scenes? You know, this this movie is so self contained. It feels like there's there's not that that not too many scenes to talk about. Oh, it moves like a train. It's just it like it, it's just like click 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 click. It's it's all moves together really nicely. So I'm going to use my one scene to talk about that in the same way that John Carpenter was a, was interested in talking about con- quantum mechanics. I support that. Love that they took some time out to to do that. I think one thing that John Carpenter clearly also wanted to talk about, or at least mention or discuss that I am against in the context of this movie is he clearly wanted to hear the word caca set on film. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, he gets it. Like a guy says caca and then even comments again that he said the word caca. And, and I feel like he says it a third time. Just to um, make sure. It's not like John buddy, not that great of a word, but it it definitely has the the feeling of like he heard it like right before the shoot and was like, "Kaka, oh my god, I gotta put this in a movie. This <laughs> also, is amazing." Like, t- Does anyone else know this word? Are we gonna break new ground? Oh my god, I gotta. I'm gonna underline. I'm gonna make sure people know what it means. So I'm gonna say it a few times. Let the characters say it. But oh my god, Kaka, oh. So good. I'm going to work that into my vocabulary right now. And like, dude, you've been out of Southern California for like 20 years at that point. Like you have definitely been exposed to Spanish people, Spanish speaking people for longer than that. Like it is weird that like it's just like this one movie is like I totally get it. Like when you start writing and you're like. I really like how this word sounds. You just keep coming back to it. But you shouldn't you shouldn't underline it that much where you're like, I, I gotta let people know what it means. I gotta let people know I like it. I gotta let the character comment that he said the word um, and how clever he thinks he is. But it kind of reminds me of so when I was like nine, my I said the word uh, my I heard my dad say the word damn. And I'm like, oh, you said the word damn. That's a swear word. And he's like, actually, damn's in the Bible. It's an OK word to say and i remember we went on a bike ride later that day and like getting that kind of idea of like oh damn's a word i can just work into my vocabulary now (laughs) i mean i remember actually like riding bike with my family and i remember my parents laughing at me because i was like oh damn oh damn oh here's the curb oh damn oh damn oh here's another one oh damn damn i made it okay all right damn all right damn all right uh oh damn oh here's gonna be a big one damn like and i that reminds me of that, that scene in Speed where the one guy's like, oh, shit, oh, shit, keeps going. Yeah, yeah. I probably said damn for like 30 minutes to the point that my parents were laughing, but it was like this idea of like, I wasn't doing it as a choke. I was like, I'm going to work this in so hard into my day-to-day life. This is going to be my new, like, I'm going to figure out how it works. I'm going to say it a lot. It's and, and 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 I feel like his he doesn't go that far. It would be very funny if every other word in this movie was caca, but he definitely it it feels like a, a miniature version of like I just want to say caca. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also like um, parents don't like necessarily understand. Em- uh, parent parents just don't understand. Uh, parents just don't want to like embrace their own uh, hypocritical. Uh, concepts where they're like, well, you shouldn't swear, and then like as soon as you hear an adult swear, you're like, hey, motherfucker, I know the rules. Um, <laughs> oh, actually, motherfucker's okay, because that's how you were born. <laughs> <laughs> Love um, justifying. Uh, yeah, so Peter, what were your what were your uh, scenes? Um, so, the mirror thing I want to come back to, because uh, as a child, I had a very specific fear of 
And it's weird how horror movies make specific uh, specific iconography and tropes and make them like primal in a in a sense. They like either take fears you already had and just megaphone them out or they create new fears. And this is an interesting thing that like when I was a kid, I think I saw House or maybe one of the Poltergeist sequels where uh, somebody goes through a bathroom mirror um, and like crawls through it. And that was like a terrifying thing as a kid. Like I hated, I hated brushing my teeth for a long time because like I would have to brush my teeth over the sink and like spit in the sink and stuff. And there's a mirror in there. Like it was a very, like I wouldn't look in the mirror when I would pee. Like it was a very weird thing that I had for like a wait, specific Wait, period. hold on. When you peed? Like when I went in the bathroom, like I wouldn't look in the mirror. I would like purposely put my head away from the mirror. Like I just was creeped out by it when I was like, I don't know, five no, to I seven. I understand. But like what, did you have a mirror that faced the toilet? Uh, yeah, yeah, my, because the toilet was on the same wall as the sink. Okay. So, if you're facing the toilet, you're facing the mirror. Do you okay. need, do you want, do you want, uh, uh, in the show notes, <laughs> I put blueprints in my parents' house in Naperville, Illinois. Um, Thank you. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, that was that a very specific fear I had. And so, so, the idea that, like, you could actually physically use the second space as actively as they use it, like, that you could actually trap a demon behind it. Yeah. Is, and normal people could just go through and then never make their way out. That's very scary to me. It's very creepy. And like the liquid effect that they use. Yes. When her well, fingers like, are going into the compact mirror and it's yeah. sort of like mercury looking. No, I was going to say uh, in the interview I saw that they actually use mercury, which Carpenter, you know, is uh, mentioning that's extremely dangerous to do. But uh, but yeah, the practical effect that looks absolutely frightening and fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 especially creepy because I think even as like a kid when you imagine that there's this world behind the mirror that you're imagining like an evil mirror version of your own world. So the idea that when you'd enter it it would be this entirely different surprise and equally terrifying dimension that actually doesn't reflect what you're seeing in the mirror, but is just a portal to it is especially even more scary. So like that, that imagery that he had was, uh, was terrifying. And I get it, Peter, because every time I, I saw myself in the mirror as a kid, I thought, uh, you know, if we're going to make a, make the world a better place, now's the time to make that change. No, no, no. You were looking at the man in the mirror. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's what I'm going for. Yeah, yeah. You and a few other people, notably uh, pop sensation Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah Mr. Mr. Chimon. Um, yeah, Mr. Shimon showed me the way. <laughs> Eric, did you have any other scenes that that, you, that we didn't get a chance to mention that you wanted to, to bring up? Okay, so I mentioned, the obviously, the mirror scene to me is the, the standout at the end after she sacrifices herself. Um, there's another scene I like where uh, Kelly is typing furiously on the computer and uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention uh, one of the lines that she ends up writing is you will not be saved by the god plutonium which I absolutely love <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's that seems great. like a very 1987 thing to write but <laughs> yeah that's yeah, great well, well yeah the plutonium uh, plutonium powered the DeLorean yeah. people loved fucking plutonium <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is a that is a great way to modernize the concept where you're like it doesn't matter how big your guns are, you can't take me down. Um, 
and it makes it more and i honestly think i was watching the scene and the way it's framed it seems to imply that like there's something extra demonic about the fact that she's not looking at the keyboard while she's typing because like you know in the 80s typewriters are so hard yeah mavis beacon really was the the first horseman of the apocalypse (laughs) (laughs) all right uh so yeah so final thoughts uh this yeah this movie's great I mean, I I don't even know what else to say about it besides everything I thought was a negative when I saw it in high school was actually a positive. The fact that it didn't really want to expand into uh, like full-blown apocalypse and all that kind of stuff is, is just – it's it's so good at what it's doing and it has some amazing practical effects. You know, Eric mentioned that, that it was working on a lower budget. One of the other advantages of that is that it allowed Carpenter a lot of freedom to just kind of to talk about and portray the stuff that he was interested in. And thankfully, the stuff that John Carpenter is interested in is also the stuff that I'm interested in. So I made a I made a post recently when I watched this movie that this every time I watch this movie, I feel like it goes up half a star and it constantly rises in my estimation. And uh, I, I think that's the case for so many John Carpenter movies where – and John Carpenter mentions that on the interview to this, that like he was so happy for the home video market because audiences discovered his movies or, or people got a second look and saw stuff that they uh, didn't get a chance to see the first time. And this is this is absolutely my John Carpenter movie like that. If we had to go back and do the ratings again, even though I said the top ten are all uh, unassailable classics – I think I would still have to move this one up. Yeah, that's a great point. I think this is uh, very much like Mouth of Madness in that my I rated it sort of mid-tier Carpenter, and every time I watch it, I see more and more that I like. And partially, it's because both of the movies are overloaded with ideas. Uh, the next two weeks are going to be interesting because I don't. Th- I think the movies work better on a um, salacious sort of uh surface level id driving fun genre movie level oh oh you reviewer for tuned in (laughs) (laughs) i think they work better on that level these two movies i think every time i watch them i get new layers to them uh and the particularly this overloaded with like lovecraftian stuff and now that this is the first time i've read it after reading lovecraft it gives it an extra patina of interest for me like it's a movie that i think has problems but almost none of them matter to me because the movie is of such personal interest to me it just taps into so many things that i love and fear at once yeah yeah so this last viewing has definitely solidified this one as a a top tier carpenter film for me um again he's operating on a small scale but his ambitions are huge and he's pulling off i'd say about 95 percent of what he's going for here and uh yeah i i love this film yeah real quick eric what's your top 17 john carpenter movies (laughs) well first of all whenever it comes to anything top it's always hard for me to put in numbers i'll just name a bunch but yeah definitely the thing assault on precinct 13 in the mouth of madness prince of darkness halloween with a gun to my head that would be my top five yeah i think a good top five my list was fairly similar yeah so thank you eric so much for joining us Um, thanks for having me guys uh, this was coming, a lot man. of fun. I, I know uh, if you're listening and uh, you thought there were some weird edits, we had some technical difficulties uh, throughout it. But Eric, bared with us through Skype's uh, – I, I think Skype is just doesn't like Canadians. I don't know <laughs> what else could describe what happened 
for part of this podcast, but it was still a great conversation. We really hope you come back in the future. Um, I know you mentioned some of your projects at the beginning, but if you have uh, more specific plugs, websites, we'll include them all in the show notes as well, but we want to give you that opportunity. Okay, so the website for my company is www.invertedlands.com, and on there you can find a reel with our work to date. That's a very evocative uh, production company name. I like that. Yeah, well, one of the hardest things now is actually coming up with the name that A hasn't been taken, B is (laughs) effective. (laughs) Oh, my God. As someone who has uh, created a podcast and two other ones coming out, we feel you, Eric. (laughs) Yeah, it's very hard because we come up with great names for podcasts and then we look and then some fucking dude did like three episodes under the name and we're like, well. (laughs) So anyway, so yeah, so next week. As uh, Peter mentioned, uh, we're going to be talking about, I think, probably most likely to be the contentious episode because uh, I really love uh, Escape from L.A. Peter feels like he has a enjoyment of it, but not to the level that I do. Obviously, I have said that I enjoy it more than Escape from New York. I am going to test that and confirm it, even though we're not. We're going to try really hard to avoid talking about Escape from New York. Because we want to give that its own shake. Absolutely. And I know Peter's going to rewatch it. And we're going to be joined by Tom Peeler, guest on our Rescuers Down Under episode. Uh, And I think he's never seen either of them. He's going to watch both as well. So I'm really excited for next week. Uh, And then we're going to be wrapping up the month with uh, Ghosts of Mars, which is kind of the the orphan in this um, lesser, quote-unquote, John Carpenter month, where... Yeah, I, I think Peter and I both feel the same way about it uh, in that it does not – it's not one of his classics, but it definitely doesn't deserve to be lumped into some of his complete misfires like The Ward and Memoirs of an Invisible Man. So that's going to be a great wrap-up. I think a few things that the movie does are deeply, deeply misunderstood and uh, very excited to talk about that one to excitedly tell people that I think it's a three out of five. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the same boat. You can edit that out. Um, uh, but, uh, well, yeah, I can do whatever I want. I have all the editing God power for this episode. I could make you say Jesus Christ is a monster, man. I don't know. Um, I am completely out of energy. Uh, so yeah, so that's going to wrap up Carpenter Month. We're going to be joined by, uh, Marcus Jones, uh, who joined us to talk about Silent Night, Deadly Night. Uh, he apparently is not a fan of the movie, Peter. So I really like the idea of a good Peter and Aaron team up on a no good, dirty guest who's just there to bring us down. And we're going to triumph over the losers and the haters. And I already feel gross. I need to go take a shower. Good night. We'll see you next week. Good night. Yeah. yeah.
Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. If you want to get in touch with us, please reach out to us at either our website, wltwpodcast.com, or our Facebook group, facebook.com backslash we love to watch and uh yeah reach out to us give us some feedback give us some support uh, suggest movies for the show all that we are also available on soundcloud tune in stitcher and itunes thanks for listening